Welcome to the Arena Jackals Podcast. I'm Gary Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb. I think, my friend, it's going to be a sleepy episode. Uh, I know that you were trying to nap before the cast and failed miserably. And normally I'm pretty good about this, but I also just didn't take an Adderall today for some reason. So I'm pretty tired too. Wow. It's just a, a low energy podcast. The, the people who deride those type of people would be very angry with us, calling us mm. out for low energy. Yeah, maybe, but instead not of very alpha of you, Gerald, not very alpha. Uh, yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't think that's a bad thing. Anyway, instead of describing it as low energy, you could say cozy. Oh, right. That's nice. Yeah. Well, cozy I'm like, podcast. no, I'm in like a cozy vibe. I, you know, I was, I was out snowboarding today, which is why I was a little tired and trying to take a nap, but definitely some snow falling today here in New York and there's snow falling on the mountain and you know we have our our christmas lights all set up uh despite me not really identifying with that religion whatsoever uh but we do christmas decorations every year i I do like christmas decorations i don't a a weird thing for like a half jewish entirely atheist person to be into (laughs) but i i tend to like the lights i guess that's that's most of the appeal for me is it is it like just the lights or is it I, I don't know just decorating things in general or like uh, uh well Janelle really likes it that, that's like what it really comes down to is like she enjoys doing it and she decorates for every holiday so she's got like her her Halloween decorations and her general autumn decorations and she's got yeah. her her Christmas decorations and I I also really like having a fresh Christmas tree in the house I like the way it smells a lot. So got the Christmas tree and went to a little tree farm. Obviously, that's something that is pretty prevalent in my neck of the woods and found ourselves a nice little tree. Yeah, because you're literally in the woods. Yep. 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 Uh, someday I'm going to get a giant tree because like, I don't know what it was as a kid growing up. I was always like very envious when I would go to other people's houses and they just had this massive tree. And, you know, our house was like essentially a trailer. So. Right. Very low ceilings. Can't uh, relate. You just, yeah, you you just couldn't have a, a large tree. And I would always be awestruck when I would go to other people's houses and they had these giant trees. And now I, I have this A-frame house where the way it's set up, it's not really ultra practical to put a giant tree in the living room. Like I think we'd partially have to either move the dining room table or like obstruct the stairs a little bit possibly. <laughs> But I could put a really big tree in there. And I, I think one year I'm just going to go for it. I think the problem with all that is you go to your friend's house, you're in awe of this massive thing, but you don't see the aftermath. Of That's true. When it's time to finally like take it down and there's yeah. just like needles everywhere and stuff. Mm. And there's the struggle of, of sometimes like getting it in and out. Not that I know any of this stuff firsthand because... Uh, you know, it's like maybe, maybe we have like a small plastic tree or something or a, a pretty common occurrence was like the last minute dash to like get any tree just mm. to kind of like be festive or whatever. Cause it was like, you know, single mom, three kids, like she's working right, three jobs or whatever. Yep. Doesn't have time or money for any of this shit. Yeah. My, I definitely never had like a big Christmas tree that was just there for three weeks or anything. Do you have any does the idea of like, oh, if I had this big Christmas tree, it would be cool. Does that resonate with you whatsoever? Or is it just not really even on your radar? No, I don't know. I, I also 
you know, did not identify with any sort of religion whatsoever. And yeah, same. I, I, don't, I, I don't know, know why it sticks for me. I know that it's, it, it could be viewed as like a festive holiday that doesn't necessarily have to do with religion or whatever, you know, but it's just none of that stuff resonates with me. No, I'm a big proponent in putting the Christ back in Christmas. You know that Gerald, I, that's always one of the first things yeah. I talk to you about. Yeah. Always. This time of year. Dude, I, I get your weekly newsletters, you know, right. So. I, I think that it is cool for people who can get into the spirit of things. And like, that's kind of why I was curious as to, you know, why you like Christmas decorations or whatever. And like some of my friends around here are kind of like the same way where they have their decorations for different seasons. And one of my friends will find like, you know, Halloween Pokemon decorations or something and be very excited about them. I'm excited too. Cause it's like, Oh yeah. Like Pokemon stuff is rad. Right. But yeah, we, we find a lot of seasonal raccoons around these parts. Okay. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Big hit in this household. Yeah, man. I don't know. It's not for me. I think at some point I decided that rather than focus on like holidays and birthdays and stuff like that, I would just try to uh, in, instill the idea that I care about the people I care about on a daily basis rather yep. than like a once every three months kind of thing. And Dude, I, awesome, awesome approach. I agree. And I, I don't know if like that works for other people, but like, I certainly feel like it is a better way to go about things. And I know that it's not binary, right? Like you can do both. You can definitely do like Christmas and holidays and also try to be good to your people every day or whatever. But I feel like that kind of, kind of gets lost, you know, like you just get used to the everyday thing and just start taking things and people for granted and whatnot. Yep. And I just don't want to do that. So despite the fact that we do do all this decoration, uh, we sort of ascribe to that idea as well. I mean, we don't, we don't exchange presents really ever. I mean, like if, if either of us has the opportunity to like surprise one another and just came up with something great, first of all, we're going to do it immediately. We're not going to wait for any holiday. Yeah. Yeah, if exactly. it happens to correspond with a holiday, great. And it so happened, like last year, Janelle had to go away on her birthday. She had just been mentioning this espresso machine that she wanted and didn't really have any like designs <laughs> to go and get it. And I was so able the, to like- So the day she left, you bought it and then sent her pictures of you drinking espresso. <laughs> well, if I, if I drank espresso, maybe I would do that. No, but I know, but- it, it, was, was- it was there and ready for her when she got back. And that, yeah. like, that was a cool present moment. But it wasn't even like, oh, I have to get her something for her birthday. Because most years, honestly, we don't get each other anything. It's just if something pops up, we do it. And I think that's a way better way to go about things in general. Yeah, especially and if forget you have the, the consumerist holidays, like just totally oh, off those Valentine's yes. Day, Mother's yes. Day, forget about it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's like I don't know. People are like, oh, "What do you want for Christmas or whatever?" It's like if if I wanted something, I would just buy it. Would have bought it. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> which is obviously like a pretty pr privileged position to be in, right? Yep. Um, and the reality of it is, I just don't want for many things. You know, it's it's more of like needs than wants. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's just like, I'm, I'm good. I don't need like a pair of socks or whatever. If all of my socks are bad or something, I will just buy new ones. It's not a big deal. So when you buy new socks, do you throw out all your old socks? I have a, a pretty vast accumulation of socks at this point. Okay. Uh, I, I do th do that. And Janelle hates it. I, I call it a sock purge. Yeah. I, I, I donate them by the way. I don't just like throw them out, but smart. No, I love that. Cause uh, you know, like, Socks, undergarments, whatever, like some of the most 
needed things, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just can't stand when I open my sock drawer and there's multiple kinds of socks in there. Like that actually short circuits my brain. I oh yeah, dude. All I, the same sock. So I, I have a drawer that is full and I'm, I'm due for a sock purge. All right. But, and I'll, I'll throw them out like as they get holes in them or whatever. Mm-hmm. All right. And just become like completely unusable. And for the most part, I just try to buy the exact same socks. Mm, so I don't smart. have that issue that you have, but it's, it's becoming harder and harder. And then when I, I would say like the, some of the better periods of my life, I don't know, just like 2016 to 2019 or something. I, I started just like buying, I bought like some magic socks, right? Cause it was like the Legion supply store had some magic socks. I was just like, those, those are dope. Like obviously mm-hmm. I should own those. Right. So like now, now I have like the weirdo, uh, socks to go with my 40 or so of the same like Hanes socks or something. Nice. So, uh, you, you say nice, but then, you know, it's like, uh, I have one of something. I don't know where the other one is, et cetera. So you just reminded me that, uh, LSS sent out socks to content creators this year, along with the, our shitty Christmas present promo card. It's actually called shitty Christmas present. <laughs> okay. um, I was like, damn dude. <laughs> uh i i did not get a pair of those socks and i'm kind of furious i will certainly be remedying that when i arrive in new zealand making sure i do get to add those to my sock collection uh but i thought that was a really cool thing a, a really fun holiday riff to just send a bunch of people socks and a shitty christmas present promo card yeah uh, i think that that's awesome and it's like you know s- stuff like that is is cool i'm not gonna be mad if like someone gives me socks or whatever because I don't know. I, I definitely have an appreciation for, uh, I don't know, like the, the Snorlax socks or like the magic socks that I have and stuff like that. But it's just like fresh socks too, are just on another level, like getting that yeah, fresh pair where yeah. they haven't been touched yet. It, it feels totally different. Start your day off right. And, and right now I'm, I have like a, a pair of like big warm fuzzy socks on too. So there it's like, that, that's another thing where I was just like, okay, I was, I was just being a dumbass by not having these before, you know? Yeah, that's, so that'll do it for the Arena Sockcast this week. Yep, Thank you for yep. coming and chatting with us. Anyway, as usual, Sleepy Cast, Tired Cast was trying to figure out what we were going to do this week, you know. And I gave you the brief rundown of all the magic formats, which is uh, Legacy looks atrocious. And I'm not really going to get into that, but that, that's just it. Pioneer is about the same. Modern looks good, but we just covered modern. It's still about the same. And like standard actually looks not too bad. So that means standard time, right? Back to our our roots, our home, getting in tune with the arena deckless title and bringing the hottest format and arena to our listeners' earballs. Yeah, uh, I guess all that stuff is technically true. So cool. I suggested for this week, by the way, that you just do something very controversial and then we could talk about that, but you refused, so... Now this is the show we have. <laughs> I mean, I refused, but also in fairness, we're both very tired. It's you can't really do controversial stuff when you're tired, right? Yeah, that's that's fair. Uh, there was some new controversy today. I believe it I, revolves it, around EDH. Yep. If you're yep. curious, yeah, I, I mean that was the thing that you said is like, oh, like what what if we just do like more discourse or whatever, and just always <laughs> trying to stir the pot, man. I know. And I, I was like, dude, I don't even know what it is. You got to catch me up. And you're like, I, I don't either. Cause we have both been like offline for a few days or something, but I did see some stuff today. 
about the Elish Norn and Some fresh discourse. Yep. About about design stuff. I don't know if you want to talk about that. I don't really care. No, I don't really care either. I I, I want to say something controversial though. I think this might get me some hate mail. I'm going to say it anyway. I think that this discussion of, oh, this card is too powerful in EDH, I honestly think it's nonsense. And I think it's aping discussions that we have in competitive formats, with the exception to CEDH, where there is like a competitive format, somewhat wrapped around it. Uh, I, I think there it's a fair discussion. But when you're talking about just raw EDH being like, this card is too powerful. What? Who care? Who even dictates that? And everyone sits around and like discusses the power level of their decks ahead of time. If it's too powerful, don't fucking play it and move on to the next thing. Like I, I don't even understand what the conversation is about. Actually, uh, it, it all seemed like nonsense to me. Okay, good. As long as I'm not just entirely old men yelling at clouds. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's a creature. You you can kill it. It does stuff, sure, but so does literally every other card that people play with. Yeah, Plus it's not five mana. Like, it, yeah, it's not like this is a mind's desire type of thing. This is the thing where it's like untap and do some stuff, but also the game keeps going. So I I don't get it. But the the thing that was interesting to me was the stuff about whether or not people who are not technically employees should be giving input on like what cards get made or whatever, and it's just like. Why not? Yeah. Why not use all the tools at your disposal? I mean, I hope if you're complaining about this, you complained when I worked on. Well, I don't Kamigawa. know. You, you, te- you technically got hired. I was a contractor. No, I know. But like you were a paid employee of theirs. So sure. what's the difference? The, the point sure. is, is there is no difference. There isn't a difference. And they should be upset that you got to work on Modern Horizons. Like all, all these They things. absolutely should. And... I received like zero hate mail, but yeah. I, w- I wasn't like going into the, the dregs of Reddit or anything to look for it. So maybe it's out there. I don't know. I also don't care, which is why I didn't look for it. No, I, I think one of the things that frustrated me for a long time about Wizards that I think they actually have gotten much better about is like using the tools that are available to them. And they have a very passionate, very vocal, very intelligent fan base that is able to provide this type of feedback uh, in a way that is outside the silo of Watsi Halls, which is a big problem in all forms of design. Like you you silo yourself and you get hive thinking and you're not really, as much as you try, you can't really capture. Can't confirm. The feeling of what other people are going to think about these things. And it's good to check in outside that space. And I, I actually really applaud Wizards for taking that shift and, uh, in recent years. Well, in in fairness... They did try to do that, although on a smaller scale. When With when like I was there, Moto in 2013, Beta, are you talking about? Or no, no, it was like towards the end of a design or dev cycle, they would start looping people into playtests who worked inside the building but were okay. not on the dev team. Yeah, yeah. And it was like I just want to get a fresh perspective and like new eyes on this thing and. Just tell me whatever the hell it is that you think about like this set or these cards or the experience that you had, you know, playing constructed or sealed or draft or whatever. And I was like, oh, damn, that's actually really smart because, yeah, you you just loop in people who like I would see in the building, but, you know, didn't know what like 
was in the last four sets or whatever. And then you would just have them play like this limited format. And they're just like giving you like incredible feedback, like stuff yep. that you would not think of because you are so siloed. Right. Because now you're all kind of like speaking the same language to each other. Like, Oh, this set is about like ABC, whatever. And then someone else comes in that doesn't have that, that same framework, you know, like they have not been told what to think about the set or what the set is about or whatever. And they, they give you, their opinion and it's like it, you're going to get information that you never would have gotten otherwise absolutely so, yeah absolutely and and in that case like these people were not uh professional game designers or developers which is good, good for some stuff and yeah. bad for some stuff right yeah no it's really valuable I, I i think like the more different perspectives you can get like most things in life the more diverse and different perspectives you can get on something you're trying to do the better off you are if you have good filtration systems and you understand like what you're trying to get from that feedback. That's that's all very, very useful. And I don't know. I, I have zero qualms with folks on the RC seeing these cards ahead of time. It's quite possible the RC should just be like an in-house thing, quite frankly. So well, uh, there's some you, issues with independence there, but like then you run the risk of it being siloed. Right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I like that it's an outside entity. I guess when I say when I say an inside thing, I mean like they should just be like well compensated and well, yes. Used I, for their talents. I, I feel like anytime someone is like, hey, can you look at the game I'm making and like, you know, spend hours and give me feedback, it's like, yeah, that person should probably be paid. But uh in most cases. I mean I've I've done stuff like that for people that I was very happy to do. And, I know. I, uh, I get it. I understand, but you're still working for free and that's kind of messed up you get to choose what to do with your labor. I, I think there's times to use that. Well, I, I wouldn't do it for a billion dollar corporation. That's for damn sure. I'll well, tell you that much. Well, that's what I'm saying. Anyway. Yeah. So I sent you the standard link and yeah. it is for the challenge that happened on the 18th. Today's the 22nd. Uh, I briefly looked at the, the league that happens and I think that is fine, but looking at like an actual tournament and like a deck that won a tournament is, I think, maybe more indicative of what's going on than just looking at, all right, here are the six different archetypes that five owed, right? Yep. Yep. I agree so, with you. So this is cool. I want you to now scroll down to the first place deck. I hope you haven't seen it yet. Okay. And just like live reaction on the cast, man. I want to want to hear your thoughts. There are some cards here. I'm going to read the Skitter Beam Battalion real quick. Give me a moment. Okay, I, prototype card. Not too. I surprised. know that one from Limited. These. Yeah. Interesting battlefield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Create two tokens that are copies of it. Sure, that seems quite good. Uh, so just kind of like red, blue, Power Stone stuff. And our top end is Cityscape Leveler. And, and, and battalion, dude. And potentially just battalioning out this huge, huge threat. This is cool. This is this is a big change from what standard has looked like up until this point. And of course, on the backbone of Reckoner Bankbuster, our favorite card drawing vehicle artifact, and the Might Stone and Weak Stone making the cut here. Four copies. Yeah, just a huge commitment to that legendary artifact. I I get it. Like decks like this, they need cardboard they need to be able to do their thing very very consistently uh might stone and we stone obviously cycling you deeper into your deck and producing that mana as well and th the ramp 
line is good here. Like it, it's kind of it's kind of the big red deck. I just keep building over and over. But yeah. like five, five drop might stone a weak stone into next turn eight drop cityscape leveler. That's really really good. Like well, really so good. You can might stone weak stone into just like cast a bank buster or something, right? Which is cool. You actually get yeah. to do something with that mana. And the deck is going off a of four stern lesson, which is like to you instant draw two, discard one, make a power stone. Mm-hmm. And so you get to deposit that leveler there for later in your graveyard. And stern lesson just like ramps you into might stone. So, uh, yeah, I, rest- I will say I'm a little surprised that the cityscape leveler and the skitter beam battalion numbers are not inverted. I would expect to see four cityscape levelers. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying first instinct. It, it seems like that's the point you would focus on. So it's really interesting to me to see things have dr- shifted more towards battalion and like you know, sometimes you just have to end games and like putting 12 trampling haste power onto the battlefield is a very, very fine way to do so. Yeah, I mean, it might also just be one of the best ways to help you stabilize too. Sure. Yeah, just play it as a prototype and you have some defenders ready to go. Uh, I was I was just thinking about playing it for nine, but <laughs> Okay. You can do that. <laughs> it's just too. like, yeah, now I have a bunch of blockers, whatever. So a lot of options. A lot of options with the prototype cards. Yeah. One of the reasons why I'm so high on them. Although, you know, I don't think we ever even mentioned Skitter Beam Battalion on the cast, but these these stats are fine. All the prototype stats are completely fine and not surprised to see these cards succeed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, rest of the deck is uh, four counter spells and some removal spells, Brotherhood's Ends, a lot of lands. And yeah, this, nice 27 there. Love it. Yeah, very smart. Very, very good deck. And uh, I've, I've seen this in more places than just here. And I don't remember exactly like when it first popped up or who built it or whatever. But uh, this, this deck is nice. I like this a lot. You check out those Thran spiders chilling in the side. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did kind of want to talk about that one too. Three mana, <laughs> two, four reach ETB. Both players get a power stone, which I would assume that you're going to be able to use more yeah, than your opponent. Seems like it. And then this thing has like a, a mana ability that you can dig for artifacts, get some card advantage. Like this, this thing's pretty solid. You know, if you're playing against like an actual beatdown deck and they can't really use the power stone, this is pretty reasonable. Yeah, really good defensive tool. A lot of, lot of just good usage of like cards doing what they were intended to do, but like being brave enough to do it. That's a huge part of the battle. It's just being like, all right, everyone says this format is about these things, but there's all these cards that are asking me to do this thing. How can I put them together? Really nice little piece of deck building. You know, everything here looks very clean too. Like just numbers are obviously in a place where it's like, here's my game plan. Here's what I need all the time. Here's what I need some of the times. It, it just all makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, if, if I were to register for this, register this for an event, I don't think I would want to change a single card in the main deck. That says a lot. And I, that's never the case with me. Like basically 0% of the time, it's definitely less than 1% of the time where I'm like, oh yeah, I just don't want to change a card. Cause like you said, everything looks good. Numbers look good. Everything makes sense to me. And I can't think of like a, a hole or anything like that where I'm just like, ah, I don't really like this. I feel like this was probably an oversight or something. I'd so. love to see that kind of deck building uh, being rewarded. Always nice when you're able to convert that to a win. Yeah. Uh, second place, McWin Sauce with Mono White, four laydown arms, 19 planes, still getting to play some roadside reliquaries and an Igonjo, and laydown arms is still good enough, so that's cool. Also have mm-hmm. seen 
some decks, I think, with as low as like 13 planes in them, still playing the card as a four of. So uh, it's it's seen some love. And I don't know, this is just mono-white mid-range wedding announcement, Reckoner Bankbuster, some Destroy Evils, uh, Wandering Emperors, Creature Base is like Spirited Companion, Ambitious Farmhand for some card advantage, Lauren of the Third Path in big numbers. You said that this card probably would not hit. There's four. Yeah, I, I was just wrong. I just I just have to own it. I was wrong about this card. And it's it's hitting in other places too. I've seen it in multiple formats. So I I don't know, man. This is one that like I read the numbers and I feel like it's been toned down a little bit, but maybe I'm just way, way too low on that tap ability and how well these decks are able to manipulate scenarios so that they are benefiting more from that random card. There's also this fascinating thing going on here with like wedding announcement versus fable of the mirror breaker and how different but similar those cards are in so many ways and how they just are always the backbone of these strategies and they're just like such perfect perfect mid-range cards they slot exactly on the curve where you want them they play so many different games so so well it's it's really interesting to see how well these two cards have succeeded and how much the format has really become uh about them and it's also one of the reasons where i'm like uh, I I don't think you actually change the format all that much by getting rid of rid of Fable of the Mirror Breaker. I think there's a lot of replacement stuff for that. It's the best of the options, but it's not irreplaceable. There's a lot of things in standard that have very similar effects. Yeah, I I'm I mostly agree with that. I think you would have to change a lot because a lot of these decks also have Bankbuster in them too. So yep. Uh, if you look at Grixis, I'm sure we'll see Grixis at some point. There's, just, there's so many three drop card advantage options. Like Fable is the card that points you in the direction of red, but you can still find other reasons to be red and still find replacement options for it. I, I think like the power level of your deck certainly goes down significantly, but you're mm-hmm. certainly able to accomplish the same stuff. I agree. Steel Seraph. Showing up here, I think prototype just proving to be a, a home run mechanic for standard and not really surprising me in that fact either. Yeah, I uh, mean, just, part of it, part of it is that a lot of these are very aggressively costed. Yeah, I think so. I, I th- I, it goes a long way, right? Absolutely does. And uh, I expect those cards to be relevant throughout their time in standard and most of them, quite frankly, like we're just seeing all of them do, do some work. Skitterbeam Battalion making its appearance. So, uh, they all have a time and a place, I think. Yeah, and then uh, some Sarah Paragon, Sanctuary Wardens, uh, Miser's copy of Farewell, uh, Sideboard has some white mid-range cards. I don't know. This is a pretty reasonable place to go if you just want like an entry point into the format. I think that this deck is like pretty simple and straightforward and maybe not the cheapest option, I guess, because there's a lot of rares, but I also don't even know... I'm going to check, actually. I'm kind of curious, like, what the average standard deck costs at this point, you know? That is a good question, and I also don't know anything about that whatsoever. Uh, I couldn't see myself purchasing a standard deck under any circumstances, which makes me sad. I would like a reason to purchase standard decks, so... All right, Grixis, 400. Mono white, Mono white, 250. Esper is a little over 400. There's a mono red deck for 100. Um, mono black is 350. Now is I, I, you probably don't know the answer to this. Is this with the cheapest possible version of all cards in the deck? I assume it is the base prints. Yeah. But these prices, this is not like 
what you would have to pay to accumulate these cards, especially if you have like some amount of a collection or you have somewhere to get commons and uncommons for free, like from a friend or something. You know, it's like if you're buying everything for like straight retail off TCG player or something, this is what it would cost you. But like, hopefully it doesn't come to that. I will say that if you want standard to ever make a return, and I'm not confident anyone does besides like us, we want to, but I'm not sure anyone with like decision-making power actually wants it to come back. I do think decks need to be cheaper. I just don't think you're going to get people to buy in for this rotating format and incinerate money basically every cycle. There's there's no infrastructure to support that anymore. So you have to find a way to get these prices lower. And I think like in general, all these variants do a good job of that or have been doing a good job of that. I'm I'm actually fairly shocked to hear those numbers as high as they are. I wonder how much of that is still tied up in things like mana bases and you know, just these maybe it I actually maybe there's a limit to how much you can do because as you depressurize the price in other places something always has to bear the brunt of the set value Correct. otherwise it just doesn't sell so it, maybe it's just like an impossible task but i would like to see these decks come down in price quite a bit if uh, there's ever going to make a comeback there's the constant supply and demand thing right where it's like if a format is booming like standard during its heyday right like this new set comes out and all the cards are awesome and everything's pre-ordering for 20 bucks or whatever. People are going to make a mad dash to like buy boxes, open them and sell the cards right to the point where supply and demand kind of equalizes and the prices settle down. And then there are some instances like dragon's maze pretty quickly after was released where they had like the random shock lands in the boosters, but basically nothing in the set outside of like voice of resurgence was in any sort of demand. So voice was like 50 and then yep. the Shocklands were like 20 or something. And just like boxes of dragons maze were like sub $60, you know? And it's like, yep. there's no reason to open them because you're not going to get any value from it. So it's like, you just have these boxes collecting dust on your shelves in stores and stuff uh, until the point where all that stuff dries up, prices start going back up again. And then people are like, Oh, I can either move up the prices of my boxes or open them and sell the singles. So yeah, no matter what, I think all of that stuff is going to equalize, especially for standard stuff. Uh, it, it looks like Goldfish is listing the cheapest version for each card, but okay. it's weird. What, and, is actually, what is actually the cheapest version? Yeah, so looked at Mono Black and was initially like, oh, damn it, because the Shieldred they list is the Phyrexian one. Mm. But that's actually the cheapest version. Is it really? And I don't know why. That is surprising news. The regular one is 66. The Phyrexian one is 55. Now, just in terms of rarity, it's the much rarer version. I correct? feel like that should be the case. So it's just a demand issue. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I wonder if there's like foil Phyrexian. That one's 113. And that is the most expensive one. Showcase foil, 60. Uh, textured <laughs> showcase foil 74, whatever the hell that means. So the showcase foil is cheaper than the just regular version. Is that correct? Correct. So it looks like the demand is if you want a Phyrexian one because you're, you're a baller or whatever, yep. you go for the foil one, right? Yep. You don't get the non-foil Phyrexian one. Yep. So this is so interesting to me. So yep. interesting because like you're establishing 
I, I, whatever. I'm going to generalize. Like this isn't a correct conclusion, but it's an interesting conclusion that I want to make. It's like I, I recognize it's shoddy work putting it together, but despite all these efforts to make these two like or all of these different buy-in points and all these different variants that each are supposed to serve a different person. Actually, there's still only two buyers. There's the people who want the foiled out most expensive version and the people who want the basic version. And that's it. Nobody else actually wants anything else. And so it's a reversion to way things always were. I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. Like, like I said, I think that's pretty shoddily defined and you can make a lot of arguments against it, but I think you could also make that argument too. No, that's mostly what I found too. Like when, when collector boosters started coming out and I was kind of buying into the hype similar to the, the comic book crazy you, you talk about yep. where it's like, Oh yeah. Like all these different alternate art covers or whatever. I was like, yeah, you know, like collector boosters seem cool. I do like the showcase versions of things, at least the ones that they had come out with at that point. And if I were going to like spec on a card or something, I was like, Oh, you know, maybe I'll pay like a extra 10 or 20% markup to get the showcase ones, but it's just, it's just a bad idea. It it is. I did it over and over. It is buy the showcase foil or whatever the fanciest foil is, because that's the only thing that matters. And then you just buy the base base regular. Those are, those are the only only two things you should buy. That's what I did. I bought the foil versions, but like in some cases that also came back to bite me. A lot of that was like in other circumstances though, like full art foil Oko's, which seemed like a great buy at the time, obviously uh, did not. Well, it, it was for like three months. Probably. And uh, now they sit in a box in my house. So. Yeah. Where they will remain to the end of time. Probably. Okay. So looking at Grixis, uh, a lot of the value of this deck is locked into Fable, however many copies of Shieldred they play, which can very easily be zero. Yep. And then a lot of the mana base, uh, the, the Trilands and the red black Tappy on Tappy Land. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with Pioneer play. But then aside from like those four cards, everything's pretty cheap. Yeah, a good amount of like uncommons and just base rares showing up in this deck. Not absolutely overloaded with mythics. Yeah. So it's not bad, especially if you are looking for an entry point into Pioneer as well. And it's like, oh, okay, now you have your Haunted Ridges and your Fables already locked in, right? Like there's a lot of overlap there. That's interesting is like the concept of making more overlap between standard and pioneer and using one as a more effective on-ramp to the other. Oh, dude. Is uh, a potential way forward. Yeah. I mean, the, the pioneer Rakdos decks just have a ton of standard cards in them at this point. Like yeah. you're, you're seeing like bank busters and misery shadows and like obviously fable, a lot of the mana base and everything. So yeah, it's, it's uh it's kind of interesting. This is like, Oh, well put some thoughts in there. Call it a day. Yeah, I I guess if you like want to talk about power levels across era, we are down from Throne of Eldraine, unquestionably, but we're up from just about everything else like that existed before that, especially when you limit it to Pioneer and you don't have the supplemental sets. So uh, this kind of makes sense to me, I guess. Yeah, I mean, these are powerful magic cards, but they are pretty normal magic cards, all things considered. You know? Yeah. Anyway, third place. Oh, look at that. Yeah, it looks like Grixis. So Grixis has gotten weird. I kind of liked it when it was like Harvester, Corpse Appraiser, Evelyn, 
you got like a small vampire theme, right? Mm-hmm. And then rotation happens and there's basically no need to play Evelyn really because you have so many better options just even at four mana. And then if you want a five mana card, you play like Invoke Despair or something. And then all of your interaction basically got upgraded. Like there's, there's so many good options that you can play. And because of the way that standard looks now where there's just a lot of mid-range, people are trying to really win that that arms race of yep. like card advantage and, and grindiness and attrition. So like we're starting to see Wandering Mind now. And like this is a card that that you liked and just never really found like a time or a place. And eh, here it is. Yeah, I, I'm not shocked whatsoever. It is a fantastic fit here. And I... I think the the most telling thing that has happened to these Grixis decks is like adoption of Invoke Despair. That just tells you where their goals are, uh, tells you what's important to them. Hard black focus at this point, but still doing things like Wandering Mind. Mana obviously has gotten quite a few upgrades and in a very fine place to cast these cards reliably. So a cool look to this deck now and only really dipping into double pips elsewhere for things like Brotherhood's End out of the sideboard, a unique effect that you can't really get elsewhere. So I think it's a a real bummer for this to be the best deck. I'll say that. It's just very generic in what it does. Uh, It's like a bunch of really good cards that draw more really good cards. It's it's old school Jund. This is like Bloodbraid Elf Jund, basically. Yeah. And, you know, some people like that. I think... At higher stakes, people love that. I think that is exactly what they want to be doing a lot of the time, given like most play happening on Arena in Standard. I, I don't think it's exactly where you want the format to fall, but obviously, you know, we waited till third place until we talked about this deck. And before this, we talked about is it and Mono White. So nice little spread of diversity, only lacking the green deck so far. We'll see if we get one as we move down the list. I did see some Mono Green Aggro. I don't remember if it was in here or not. Okay. But it does exist. It is out there. Although, fourth place, we have Bolivo with Mono Red Aggro. And it's it's kind of weird. 24 lands, four Mistress Foundries, some Jaya Fiery Negotiators at the top end, all four copies. Two at Sushi, the Blazing Sky. So six total four drops. Uh, creatures are Monastery Swiss Spear, Kumano Faces Kakazan, Bloodthirsty Adversary, and three copies of Felden, Ronum Excavator. And then some burn spells and reckless impulses. No notes. I, I think Jaya is a real planeswalker. My experience with Jaya was mostly in the limited space where I thought it was extremely good, completely capable of dominating a game, everything you could really want out of a format of planeswalker. You just needed to have built around it. And it's pretty easy to do so given these tools that you've picked up, uh, especially these haste threats, which are just like, if you're doing that on your first few turns and you have these haste threats set up and then your four drop is Jaya, I think you often find yourself in a pretty, pretty good spot. So, you know, the curve of Swift Spear into Bloodthirsty Adversary into whatever from that point, removal spell maybe, and then Jaya, that just locks up a lot of games. And it's not hard for me to see why this deck has succeeded, but it's also good in those spots against Grixis that are trying to just like grind you to dust and you can get some extra cardboard out of your Jaya. Yeah, and then the sideboard... (laughs) Three Bankbuster, two Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Everyone's uh, got to do it. Two Chandra Dressed to Kill, an Elder Dragon's War. Uh, you got tools to grind with Monorad yep. out of the sideboard. Yep, got to be ready to do it. Uh, fifth place. This is the just actual pennies thing that you 
play if you want to get into standard on the cheap mono blue and i i don't think that this deck is that bad and actually nope, i think it's fine and i like this version uh Talarian terror haughty Jin. uh see some different creature choices in a few lists some have delver some have uh ledger shredder stuff like that but you just have like consider impulse fading hope a bunch of counter spells thirst for discovery and you you chain this stuff so well with haughty Jin yep. too and the thing that the deck has started to do is play flow of knowledge, which is for you instant draw a card for each Island you control, then discard two cards. And that is, that is nice. That's the type of thing that makes this deck go from like a Delver deck to kind of like a turbo fog deck. You know what I yep. mean? Yep. And and you might be like, Oh, the how high impact can this actually be? There's only one copy. Well, where the rest of your deck is just like ripping through you're going to see that one copy in a lot of spots and a ton of spots where your deck is like just churning, 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 doing basically nothing, spinning its wheels, and you don't have an end spot to actually get to. Now you just need that one end spot. And then all of a sudden you've added, you know, four cards to your hand, but like a six card selection. You are going to find what you need from that point to either reclaim tempo with your bounce spells, put a threat out there on the battlefield something like Talarian Terror or Haughty Dijin, or just lock up the game with your counter magic or all the above in one fell swoop. Because right. when you start getting into cost reduction, you can just do it all at once. The only rare in the main deck is Haughty Jin. Deck also has two more copies of Flow of Knowledge in the sideboard. And I've seen some lists that have like two and two. So. Fantastic. I, I just love the way this deck is shaping up. I love when there's options like this available in standard and they're reasonable. This one is reasonable. I think it's completely fine. Yep. Uh, sixth place, Willie Adel. Similar to the first place deck, it is m- like sort of blue red, but is also playing Urza to go with the Might Stone and Weak Stone. Has the Thran Spiders main, four Brotherhoods in, so a much bigger nod to aggro decks, it looks yep. like. Yep. Uh, 26 land, a couple Mishra's Foundries, uh, the counter spells are gone, and uh, the the draw two is gone. The story here is pretty clear, though. You you can make those nods to aggro decks with something like Brotherhood's End because now you're saying, oh, these grindy decks that are trying to like pummel you to dust. Well, what happens if you just play a flipped Urza? They're not going to pummel you to dust anymore. You're going to go ahead and be able to steal the game that way. And I, I think you're just playing to a different end game in this deck, one that is sort of agnostic of what your opponent may be doing on the other side if you get your time. And when you have those kind of setups, you find the removal spell you need to bridge to that late game scenario. So something like Brotherhood's End is the perfect fit here because you don't need to clean up everything. You just need to get enough time for this stuff to come online. The Skitter Beam Battalions, the Cityscape Levelers. As soon as that starts happening, whatever your opponent's doing is irrelevant. It just doesn't matter. Brotherhood's End just has to get you there. Yeah, so th- this is an interesting take. I'm not sure how I feel about it. I'm, I'm definitely more partial to a little bit more velocity from uh, the Stern whatever's Stern lessons. Stern, I feel like that was just a card name before, but I we've been through like Stern, Stern Proctor, Stern yeah. Dismissal. Dude, I remember Stern. I remember both of those cards. Yeah. Those are both bonus cards, but like the, the lesson thing too was like not that long ago. So maybe that's it. I don't know, but I'm, I'm certainly more inclined to play stuff like Stern lesson than just tap out 
big mana deck, which is more of what this is, but I can definitely see a world where this is the stronger option, right? If you're getting attacked, Stern Lesson is, you know, not not the card you want. It's probably it's probably a thing that you shave in sideboarding. Like that's right. how bad it is. Right, right, right. And Whereas, I also think like there's this deck isn't incapable of generating velocity, getting through its cards. Like with Bankbuster, Mightstone, and Weakstone, Fable of the Mirror Breaker, you you are pretty good at seeing more cardboard. Yeah. I mean, you have the spider too. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I think like most times I would poo-poo that ability, but in decks that are set up like this, eh, maybe it's more realistic. Uh, It's it's non-zero. I don't know how like realistic it is, but it's non-zero. It'll happen. Especially when you're talking about fighting Grixis and stuff like that. So Right, right. Uh, yeah, I- interesting take. Seventh place, Burnt Taco, more Grixis. This one, no wandering mind. Airtie resurrected. Uh, still a couple Shieldreds, no Invoke Despair, uh, just yep. going with like a Gixis command instead and a random Soul Transfer. Soul Transfer is pretty good though. It is. I, I'm an Invoke Despair fan at this point though. I just think like it adds too. so many angles to your game plan as the Grixis deck and that that's how I would build my list. I, I do think there is merit. To, like, like I said, with these decks, the main thing is like, what is your plan? How are you approaching matchups? If you can answer that question, Build it however you want, quite frankly. Just just have plans, know what you're doing, and I, I think you can probably either get away with it or give yourself the best chance to win uh, where the plans are clear to you. If you have a deck where you're like, eh, I don't really know what I'm doing with these Invoked Despairs, I'm not sure how to leverage them, okay, build around it. I think that's totally acceptable uh, given how powerful the cards in Standard are right now. Yep. And then rounding out our top eight in eighth place, we have X-File with Mono White Soldiers uh, still playing the fortified beachheads for the potential pump. And because it's mostly free when you have 29 creatures, the vast majority of which are soldiers. Yeah. I wonder if like Mishra's foundry is just better than playing the blue stuff. Cause like once you decide that you have beachhead already, like how much does the blue actually cost you? And I, I really do like the simplified take. Dude, how, is brutal Cathar still a standard legal card? I've I've cast that. I've done this, Gerald. I've I've put this card into play in a standard tournament for realsies, like an actual cardboard version of it. That it seems like a decade ago. It it really does. I believe it was the the first SCG invitational that happened after everything? Maybe? No. No? No. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the one that we went to and I didn't play in anything. Was it an invitational? Yeah. Well, it was it was the SCG con featuring the invitational or whatever. Okay. And that was in Roanoke. Yep. Your brother lost you in the finals of PTQ. Yes, you didn't play. I didn't win a game, but I played Brutal Cathar. That's what matters. Yeah. For a couple rounds at least. Yep. Yeah. Uh Mono White Soldiers. Some Wandering Emperors, a couple wedding announcements, a, dest- a Destroy Evil. I love minimalist interaction in in-game ones in aggro decks. Yep. It's yep, like absolutely. you play what you have to play, but for the most part, you want to be playing the board. And then at that point, something like Brutal Cathar appears to be much stronger than just having a pile of Destroy Evils or Lay Down Arms or whatever you want to play, right? And then the sideboard, some Bank Busters, some more AO the Dawn Skies, more wedding announcements, uh, a Kayla's reconstruction. We got some ways to grind in the sideboard. So you're, you're seeing a theme. Yeah. I, th- I think there's a pretty clear 
uh, mode of engagement present in this standard format. And I will say when there's a clear mode of engagement, there's also ways to exploit it. And that's when deck builders start getting excited. They start looking for angles. And if only there is more incentive to do so in this format, maybe we'd see a lot of that developing right now. But it, it is happening, to be fair. like Things like this, uh, is it deck getting very large? I, I think it would be uh, very foolish to dismiss that as not a really nice piece of innovation, a really nice piece of deck building. I just want to see more. I want it to keep happening. And it feels like it's happening so slowly at this point, and it's mostly because the interest isn't there. Like the the more you could get really good deck builders, really good players to turn their attention to this format, the more we might see some of these exciting developments. Because I think the pieces are there. It just it just needs the interest. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I mean, this this top eight has a couple aggro decks, uh, two go big decks, uh, like tempo-y control mono blue deck, yep. right? Like yep. it, it is, it's got a really nice swath of things, and this this format actually seems pretty good. No, I think so. I, I will say you start to scroll down a little bit. Three Grixis decks in a row, missing 9th, 10th, and 11th. So I think that is kind of the boogeyman of the format, the thing people are concerned about. But then we get into like big Boros-type stuff after that, and uh, then we're doing more of the Is It artifact stuff. So uh, definitely a lot of Grixis, but other stuff going on, enough going on where I think the format is... Uh, it's viable. It's interesting. Just needs the incentives. Yeah, I agree with that. Or uh, you just get rid of it altogether, right? Is, one or the other. Yeah. One or the other. Yeah. I mean, you pick a lane. That's all I ask. Yeah, not not just like let it hang out and languish and eventually die. You know, it's sort of what happened to Pioneer at the beginning. Like once they sort of like slowed down with the bannings and everything, it was like, all right, mm-hmm. well now what are we doing with this? Nothing, I guess. And all, all the initial hype and everything you had from the format's inception and, and everything just kind of like died down and you, it, it really missed an opportunity. I think it's come back in a big way and that's yes, great. Yes. Yep. But uh standard, either needs something of the same or you you just let it go. And I I don't want to just see it kind of like languish here, especially when by their metrics, it's doing pretty well on arena, you know, communicate and make clear Gerald. That is what is the key. Yeah. But if you communicate, then there's the chance that, you end up being wrong or you change your mind and then people get mad at you. So better just not say anything. Hmm. I think, you know, my theory on that. I'm not taking that bait. <laughs> we, we'd be here for like another hour probably, but correct. Yes. That would be the consequence. Yeah. Let's see. Rest, rest of the top 32, a couple blue white soldier decks, you know, some more, is it happenings? Sandy dog with mono red. It, it gets real Grixis as you move through. I, I will say that. And I, I think that is a, you know, like I said, that's the boogeyman. That's that's the deck that is sort of positioned as the best thing. But when there's a boogeyman and something else wins the tournament, that's when you start getting excited. And it only takes one boogeyman dethroning deck to put the format into complete upheaval. So, yeah, I mean that's that's kind of where we are. And I know that I don't remember if it was this format. I don't I don't think so. I think it was the last one. But one of the standard challenges. And honestly, it might have been multiple where there was just like eight Grixis decks in top eight or whatever. This has been a thing on Magic Online. And it's not that 
the Magic Online players are like bad or lazy or anything. It was just like uh, based on everything we know, this is the best thing, and we're like trying to win these challenges, right? So like, let's we're we're all just gonna decide to play Grixis, and now it has gotten to the point where finally like some innovation is happening, and maybe it was Brothers War actually giving people the tools to fight mid range with just becoming like a massive end game deck with the prototype stuff, right? And we are we're seeing that churn. It is good. Uh, and now the format looks healthy because you actually have like rock, paper, scissors as far as like aggro mid range and, uh, you know, not control at this point, but the super big rampy thing, super big rampy thing. Yeah. It, it just needs to happen a little faster, more rotation, more, no, I agree. more push. And yeah. then, then things would be good. It would be good. But the way it is set up now, like this is maybe like the best time to be playing standard in recent memory. Uh, yeah. I mean, targeting to like the, the throne era, I, I would agree with that. Like, like week one of throne of Eldraine, where it still seemed like things were possible that were not Oko was the last time things were like kind of sort of okay. Maybe, maybe ish, maybe not even. No, you week, have to go back further. Yeah. Cause week one of throne was like, Oh yeah, this is all cool. And then you like built feel the dead or whatever. And it was like, Oh yeah, never mind. No, no, I, I won week one with Esper Dance of the Mance. Oh, we're beating okay. All yeah, those, you're right. Okay, week one was good. Week one was good. Beating all those Oka decks. And then uh, very soon after that was was Field, yeah. Oh, Dance of the Mance. I forgot about that. Worst deck I've ever won a tournament with. Ooh, I wonder what the worst deck I've ever won a tournament with is. I, I, I just can't think of what worse than that. I mean, like... To be fair, you've probably won more tournaments than I have, but it, it's real hard to come up with anything that bad. I don't think the deck was bad. No, it's 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 contextually bad. No, I should yeah. I should yeah, yeah. clarify. Yeah. Compared to what else you could do in the format, it was very bad. Yeah, but we hadn't gotten to that point yet. We were still exploring, right? And like you did the thing where you explored until you found a thing that was reasonable and you stuck with the reasonable thing versus like, can we do better? And I think that's fine. Like you when whenever you did that for a pro tour, it felt really bad, right? Yeah. But yeah. for week one playing in like fandom legends and you like win anyway because the thing that you found was good, it did serve your purpose, then whatever. You know, you you did fine. Yeah. Uh, there's a moment where you just have to put your pencils down, right? And yes. You are where you are. And I think whenever I have played quote unquote bad decks, I have been rightfully punished. Like there is definitely some nonsense that I won tournaments with. Like I, I won tournaments with a decent amount of, of Vengevine decks that were realistically probably not very good, you know? Mm -hmm. But if I was winning, it was usually with like Delver Stone Blade Mystic. So Yeah, I or so I, I was just saying, like as I was like replaying my tournament wins through my head, I, I just see this swath of squadron hawks in front of my face, and that's all <laughs> I can really remember right now. So I don't I don't know. Maybe Dude, I was that, I was made by the squadron hawk. Man, that was like a, a solid two-year blur of my life. Yeah. Oh geez. Yeah, good times. It was good times. I think uh it was pretty bad times, honestly, but I I was enjoying it because I didn't know any better. I don't know, man. Like we all want something different out of games, right? And you, if anyone said that was a very bad time for Magic, I understand what you're saying. But I think about my happiness playing Magic, and there's basically like two high points I can point to. The first is like Callblade. The second is 
counterbalance top in whatever format I was yeah. playing that in, probably Legacy. But that, I, I just love those games. Like, legitimately love them. And it wasn't about, oh, my deck is so much better than everyone else's. It was, but like, it was not actually about that. It was, I love the playstyle of those decks so, so much. And they just had the thing where when you're winning, you are just absolutely dominating people and it's not close. And that feels good when you're playing. They were good at making you feel smart too. Yes. Like you could come up with some very creative plays and get rewarded for them, which is a really nice place to be as well. Dude, I thought I was good at like counterbalance top, right? And then it's just one of those things where like three months in, you see someone like activate a top, flip it, cast thirst for knowledge, and then resolve the top activation. Mm. And then you just like get to add this extra thing to your arsenal. And and if you're me, you just quietly pretend that you knew that was a thing <laughs> you you're always doing that, all the yeah. time. You know, it wasn't yeah. like, oh my God, I have to tell everyone about this. I was just like, this is a thing that only I am going to do. Like, I'm not going to tell anyone about it. And if anyone asks, I knew about it the whole time. Yeah, there's there's just more and more levels and decisions and just like at least once a week when i was playing that deck a lot it was like a mind-bending situation where you could talk to like six people about it six very good players get six different answers about how you're supposed to play the turn and like maybe make a case that three of them were correct given how you were going to play the rest of the turns from that point or how you had played earlier turns just like such a fascinating deck to unpack and and magic should not be like that. <laughs> no, no, it shouldn't be. I I appreciate it, but for the greater good, it should not be like that. I I think I can make an argument that counterbalance top is net positive, except for the actual top portion of it. like the actual mechanic moving things around on the top of your deck. The the lockout like win condition where you have to manage stuff is was pretty good. I, I think it had like the right amount of playthrough. It was just having to do the top stuff over and over. That really was a net negative from that deck. It was too good, man. It was too good. I, I don't even know why we have to argue this, but. So you had to do what I did and make it worse. Play bad cards in it. Put a Thassa <laughs> in it. You never know what's going to happen. Uh, What is the reverse of training wheels? It's like uh, you, you buy like a, a weighted bunch. vest. Yeah, it's yeah. like doing the Dragon Ball thing where you take off your weighted vest that you've been wearing yeah. that weighs seven thousand pounds, and to to go directly opposite of the training wheels comparison, I was like going to say you you're buying a bike with a stick already stuck in the spokes or something. Mm, you know, you're yes. just trying that to set yourself like, up for failure. But sounds like right up my alley. Yeah the uh, the training vest thing, the Dragon Ball thing was the first time I saw it was Naruto is Rock Lee. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah you, that might that might actually be its origin. I might no, it, it was that. Dragon Ball. Dragon Ball was it? Yeah, Dragon Ball predates it by like a decade. I think I just never watched Dragon Ball. Okay. That's Me neither. It. Which uh, is weird. Yeah, I don't know. I just I I didn't have like cable or anything fancy. Yeah, I think I was the wrong age. I think like that's a, a younger generation than us that really came up on Dragon Ball. No, well, I don't I don't really think so. I I think that if we had access to cable, we would have seen it. But like, I don't know. I, I, I just I didn't feel know, like it trends a little bit younger. I didn't. I didn't know anime existed until like I was in my twenties, basically. Like I had seen a movie or something, and I was like, "Oh, this is just like Japan's Disney or something." And yeah, it, it wasn't I, I even a Miyazaki actually, movie. It was just like Ninja Scroll or something. Well, I think I had read about it in like a Wizard 
like a Wizard magazine. Dude, Wizard magazine, no relation to Wizard of the Coast, but uh, Wizard, Correct. Wizard magazine was nice. Oh yeah, I I loved Wizard magazine, but I think that's where I like first heard about anime, and then I think I made my parents somehow track something down for me. The first anime I remember watching was like Vampire Hunter D. That's the one I have uh, my first like anime experience with. And that was the beginning of the end. Now you've seen the first episode of every all. anime. <laughs> There's a couple I've watched in their entirety this season. This has been a strong season for anime. So, All right. Uh, close this out. What what were you watching? What was good? I, I think you have to talk about Chainsaw Man. I think that's what everyone's talking about, which is... Here's the thing about Chainsaw Man. There's a moment where you can like be getting introduced to everything going on and be like, yeah, this is like very cool, very stylish, but it's like sort of nonsense and it's not going anywhere. Read anything else by the author of Chainsaw Man. Uh, Goodbye, Ari is the one that comes to mind. It's like a, a standalone short 200 page ish. Uh, I don't know if that would be considered like a light novel or, or what, but it's incredible. It's mind blowing. And now I just think the guy's an absolute genius, like just a flat out genius. And I can't wait to see where Chainsaw Man goes. And I actually think as good as it has been and as much people have enjoyed it thus far, I think it's going to reach greater heights than most people expect. Yeah. It's like you, you have no idea what you're in for basically. Yep. And, and I'm not reading the the manga. I had I had read a bit uh, basically now. So like where I had read into the manga is where the actual anime is at at this point. So I don't know anything beyond what happens in this specific series. But just seeing the artist's work elsewhere. And there's a second one besides Goodbye, Eri, that also it's – it's the same thing, like a, a short form story that, again, was mind-blowing. Like the guy is an absolute genius – and I wish I remembered the name of it, but look up, look up the author of Chainsaw Man, figure out what else they worked on. And they are the future of anime. I think that's very, very fair to say. All right. I did the you thing where I, I watched episode one and that was it. Go back, man. Go back. Well, I mean, like I was, I was watching with my friend and, uh, I have not hung out with him since then. So that's the okay. reason. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. I'm sure it's a cool, cool thing to share. It's just got so many. So many highs, so many ridiculous moments, so many things that are like sort of eye rolly and cringy, but they're they're done That's in a way. Anime. <laughs> they're done in a way though. Like so so often anime is like eye rolly and cringy for the sake of just being that. Here it feels smart where they're like questioning something and challenging something and actually asking a meaningful question. Yeah. And I'm, I'm down with that. Yeah, I I just have nothing but good things to say about Chainsaw Man. Yeah. Based you know, judging a book by its cover, right, <laughs> uh, is not a thing that I'm interested in. But hearing you talk about it makes me more interested, certainly. Yeah, I actually, I was, when I went snowboarding today, I went with my cousin. And he's a very, like, light anime fan, mostly just watches things. I'm like, check this out. You'll like this. Uh, went and saw the Jujutsu Kaisen movie with me. So, like, you know, knows knows a few things, but not a hardcore fan. And I'm like, you should definitely watch Chainsaw Man. And he's like, what's it about? And I'm like, ah, fuck. Like, I really don't want to explain this because it makes it so much harder for you to believe that it's as good as I'm telling you it is. But it is that good. Well, what is your record as far as recommendations to things that he has enjoyed? Perfect. Okay. Uh, Nothing nothing but home runs. Go off of that. Yep. That's it. Uh, What else? 
What else is good? Uh, let's see. What else have I enjoyed this season? I mean, like Spy Family, excellent, yep. cute, really like it. This might be dipping back into last season, but I just watched it in the course of this season. My Dress Up Darling was like mm. just like it was kind of like fucked up in the best way, like wholesomely perverted is the best way I could describe it. Okay. I, I had it on my to watch list. I did not know about the perverted aspect of it. I was not told about that, but yeah, I mean, it definitely like crosses those lines where if it was your first anime, I'd be like, nah, this isn't the right one for you. So there's, but there's once some you watch enough anime and you get desensitized to it. Maybe that's true, but it, there is like a, a wholesome element to it as well that I, I really do appreciate. And I like that in my anime. Like I often reach for anime for wholesome stuff. Oh, and uh, Bo- Bochi the Rock is another really good wholesome one. If that's your thing, just You've like telling, it. it's telling the story of a extremely socially awkward, introverted girl who joins, uh, she, she's like a, she's a guitarist and posts videos of herself online and does very well with like her YouTube following, but doesn't know anyone to speak to about music and doesn't ever interact with others about music and finally gets to join a band and like is navigating her social awkwardness while she does so. It's like really charming, wholesome, leans towards music, which is obviously something that I'm very interested in. And uh, I, I like that one a lot this season too. Yeah, it sounds awesome. And if you've watched enough anime, you can you can also wa- watch Akiba Made War and enjoy that too. But again, that's not good for your first anime. Uh, I don't know that one. It's really interesting. Okay, I'll, be, I'll give you the premise. So the, the premise is that the Maid Cafe's is it, is it Akihabara or Akihabara? Akihabara. Akihabara. As, as far as I know. I mean, I'm I'm not an expert or anything. But. Yeah, yeah. So maid cafes are like a very weird part of that culture, to me anyway, where the servers dress up like maids and are kind of like cutesy and interact with the guests. But this show has the premise that these maid cafes are actually all like individually – criminal organizations that like have their own uh, code. Like they almost operate in like Yakuza like fashion and it's like hyper violent maid cafes going to war with each other again, like weird, but aware it's weird and doing it in a way that's interesting. And so I did not expect to like that show. And it's something that's like, I would put as outside my usual watching and I really liked it. I thought it was very good. I like how you say, I, I didn't think I would like it, but then you start watching it anyway. And then you oh, keep yeah. watching it. And it's just like, I, I don't know how we got into the situation, but whatever. I almost every night when I go to sleep, watch anime. I, I don't watch any regular TV. So, you know, where normal people watch television, I replace that with anime. And I have watched basically every single one that came out this season. I don't think there's one I've skipped that I haven't at least watched an episode of. And if I like it, I'll keep watching it. If I don't, I stop. Sometimes it's a little murky and I'll get like five episodes and give up. Sometimes I'm like, hate this five minutes into it. And, but I, but I mostly try them all. Yeah. Yeah. It's so weird because you, you really do never know what you're going to get. Yep. You know, a thing like Chainsaw Man. And then it's like the title alone is just ridiculous. Right. But then you see, like the splash art or something. And you're just like, no, I'm off it. Right. And, and then you're telling me that this person is like a literary genius or whatever. And it's just like, yep. 
I, none of this makes sense. But yeah, that's that's anime. Yeah, g- Goodbye Area is the one you need to absolutely read to just get a glimpse of it. And I, it's available on the uh, Shonen Jump app, if you've ever seen that, which is like the coolest manga reader you can possibly get. It's like $3 a month and you just get infinite manga to read. Okay, cool. Did we cover everything we needed to cover for this Magic the Gathering podcast this week? Oh, cozy enough. I, I feel think? very cozy right now. Yeah, I'm I'm ready to go take my nap. Yeah, and I was, fall asleep to a little anime now. Dude, I was I was gonna ask like, does this uh, get you to to the sleepy point? Um, yep. Because me not not taking Natural, I almost always need a nap, and I think I'm about at that place, and it <laughs> just demolishes my sleep schedule, or you know anything resembling a sleep schedule. But that is just the price of doing business, you know. That it is. And if y'all want to now join us for a nap, we'll all as a collective lay down, combine our psychic energies into Dude, the dreamscape. We, we seriously need that. It's just like the discourse starts and it's like, all right, y'all just, <laughs> just you know, nap. Take, Let's take just a, nap take a time out. out, roll yeah. out your sleeping bags, you know, uh, drink your Capri Sun or whatever. And like, let's, let's all just have a nappy time. Naps are a powerful thing. And when we wake up, you won't care about this, the discourse anymore. You just won't. It's the uh, psychic equivalent of touching grass. Yeah, game. Good luck.